Today is March 12th, 2022. And won't you slide up a little closer to me because I'm going to do my podcast here. Today I wanted to think about the life of Mr. Jack Kerouac. Maybe you've heard of him, 20th century writer, sort of a transient type of guy traveling around post-World War II veteran trying to find himself in the world of the 1950s and 1960s with all that baggage of things he'd seen and life he'd lived. Well, today would have been his 100th birthday, Jack. I did a couple of poetry readings here for you earlier, and I wanted to uh, think of you, my friend, and think of you fondly as not a famous celebrity writer, someone whose name I see in the bookshelves between different letters of K, K-A to K-C yourself and find yourself under contemporary 20th century fiction. No, you're more than just a name. And I wanted to address that. So happy birthday, 100, 100 years hundred years. I wish Jack was here. I wonder what Jack would be like. Let me think on that. Drink my coffee here. My podcast is dedicated to Jack Kerouac on his hundredth birthday. May his words and memory and the people that knew him that are still alive, the people that passed, the people that been impacted by his life, his writing. May that matter more than anything literary and more importantly to inspire others to find themselves. I had intended on really focusing on this day, you know, it wouldn't have been something I wanted to really work on, but between two things, one being the crazy war we're seeing over in Ukraine. And I stand with Ukraine, so I've had my mind on that. And the other one yesterday, is I want to address before I get started on this, is um, the passing of Bobby Nelson, Willie Nelson's sister. You know, I've been sitting here the past few months with this book he wrote about him and his sister Bobby. And getting a feel of how he grew up, knowing where they came from, their life, the power of a brother and sister and that incredible connection that goes down through all of the generations of Willie's kids and people I know. And it so happened I turned my phone on yesterday and saw that that news of Willie Nelson's sister And I sort of just, I felt my heart sink. I thought of Willie. I thought of his wife. I thought of his son. I thought of his daughter, Paula, his other daughters. I thought of my friend Raylan, and I just just realized what an incredible loss it is for them personally. And then I build on to what it is musically. The legacy 
Bobby Nelson left that amazing piano playing on every one of his songs, especially especially the gospel ones. I think I think the gospel ones really just when Bobby Nelson plays the piano. And the one one particular gospel album I know of. I'm taken back to being around my grandmother and church and feeling feeling that you know it 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 uh, it to me thinking of Bobby Nelson. Wow, I just I want to send my love out to all you and the Nelson family. I want to encourage people to uh, read up, read up on uh, that this book in particular that Willie wrote. I'm going to look the name of it up right now. I have a copy, but I don't have it in front of me. Um, yeah. It's, it's good. It's really good. And... And it's called Me and Sister Bobby. True Tales of the Family Band, Willie Nelson and Bobby Nelson. You know, I, I quoted this this quote here from his book. I'm going to bring that up. I really want to bring that up. Here we are. I said, this is, this is what I read. This is why Willie Nelson and his sister Bobby resonate. Every song, note on that keyboard resonate on a very human level, and that is in common. Some people, man, really are gifts in our lives and by the work. Be that kind of person, artist, human being. Thank you, Bobby Nelson. I mean that. I mean, really, Willie wrote this, and I, I really wanted to repeat it. Because it shows you what kind of people they are. He says, we may have been poor, but my sister Bobby and I were taught to hold our heads up high. Whether you're young or old, when you meet someone, you look them in the eye and speak up so you can be heard. When you look a person in the eye, you're not trying to hide who you are. Plus, you get a pretty good idea of who they are, Willie Nelson. And I wanted to read that because it all ties in relatively. And with Jack, too, it, it ties in, you know, because, like, we're talking about human beings. We're not talking about celebrities. That weird word, celebrity, what does that mean? Bobby Nelson and everything she did as that Nelson family, which is a family that starts with them and all that music kind of goes down to everybody that listens, your family. You're feeling that same human experience and it speaks to you and you can say, they're like family. This, this song is like family to me. This song was written and my heart feels the impact of those words. That's that's what you feel with Bobby Nelson. Every note, every word. She gave something very important of her life. Every time you saw them play, that was their time being spent to not just entertain you, 
but to hold that communion. And when you listen to the gospel music, and you realize it's all gospel music, it's all written from the soul, it's all written from the heart, you feel that uh, Bobby Nelson was having a very spiritual moment with you for strength, for everything she endured in her life. And yeah, thank you, Bobby Nelson. God rest your soul. May you live on in all of us that liked your music. I didn't know you real well. Didn't really get a few chances to. I've seen some Willie Nelson concerts, which is great. But personally, on a level like Raylan and Paula and all of them, you know, I, I see with them the strength of these these young women that. Uh, I still call them young because they're, they're sweethearts. Uh, they're, them on an artistic level and a human level, and Amy Nelson, all them, the strength they have, you know where it comes from, that family, that strong matriarch. So, hey, I love you guys. Um, yeah, it makes me really, really sentimental thinking of that because... Such incredible people, really, really such incredible people. And I don't even mean that as a fan. I mean that as just people that are people, you know. That gets me back to what my topic is here, Jack Kerouac, you know. I don't even know where to start with this. I wanted to do follow an outline. I wanted to run with this, but I think it's better if I do it spontaneous because that's what Jack always did. And I want to go here to the beginning of this book I... Some of the Dharma, which is the notebooks of Jack Kerouac, on his Buddhist studies. He got into Buddhism and he kind of wanted to really dig deep into it. He gives a list of his books. There are many. So where do we begin? Well, I'm going to explain some of these, these things that... If you read Jack Kerouac, you're going to get into. In this book, I read it verbatim. Uh, it says, editorial explanation of various techniques of the Dulas legend. And that's a French word. Jack used that. He wanted to put all of his books in order to uh, tell a story. He didn't want to get sued, so he kind of did different names of different characters in different books. So as you read them, they change. And since then, they've actually made a few where it's the names of the real people. And it's still good. I kind of like those character names he gave because they were fun. They were fun names, you know. But a tick. A tick is a vision, suddenly a memory, an ideal form. Tick. As for one, the book of ticks is short and longer sentences, generally about 50 words in all. Intro sentence and explanation sentence above the tick. Cold fall morning. He got a lot of that from, I think, the the... The uh, Japanese Buddhist that uh, wrote poetry. This is about sketches, you know, book of sketches. It's a uh, hundred words or so, just do a sketch. And that's what most of this is. A dream. Jack did a book of dreams. He wrote down his dreams and gave you a lot of depth into his character. Pop is like a haiku, but it's like an American version. It's three lines, poems, P-O-M-E. P-O-M-E-S, rhyming and not rhyming, dilating a little, samadhis, if possible, usually a Buddhist connotation, 
aims towards enlightenment. Book of Pops. Blues. And the deck was inspired by all these blues musicians. Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker, you name them. I don't need to go into that. He did with words what they did with notes and spontaneousness. Ecstasy, he did the first of uh, some of the Dharma was, is kind of inspired by that, that idea of uh, Golden Eternity. If you ever read Golden Eternity, it's a very spiritual book. Movies. Jack, Jack is like my dad. Same generation. My dad knew Jack. Get into that. Uh, they grew up in the movie era, you know, the, yeah. Radios, listen to the, the shadow, you know, uh, all these different serials. I love that stuff. You ever read um, Old Angel Midnight? You know what? The serial comic radio style feels and flows into it. Visions, like Visions of Neil, Visions of Gerard. Jack would do a prose work. Based on one character, one person. Maggie Cassidy, same thing. It was a character study on a person that he knew. And it was it was all written in love. It was all written about the person in love. Um, his brother, Gerard, died young. Saintly Gerard. I want to think of Gerard today, too. Who would we be if not for it at an early age? That spiritual, magnificent brother, Gerard, that Jack had that... Uh, passed away but well you really need to read that book I, I can't even you can't even sum these things up really uh, flash a daydream a routine and dharma you know so I'm not going to get into any of this this is a really big book it's just a bit of Jack's notes and for copyright reasons I probably shouldn't <laughs> But he, he wouldn't mind so much, I don't think. I don't think Jack would mind. What would Jack be like at 100? Would he be the famous writer? A little bitter. A little uneasy with his fame. You know, trying to still live this small-time life. His books are written out of order. They're written out of order. But, you know, he started out with a book, Town in the City. And it was a modern, contemporary type of writing, classical, but contemporary. And it was a good, really good book. If you want to read a normal book written as a normal author, mm -hmm. right, you get into that. Um, some of my favorites, though, are like Good Blonde and others. Another character study. I love the character studies. Um, but the Delos legend follows many books, and they're not all written here. But I'll, I'll go with them. You know, in order, I go Visions of Gerard, but his younger brother, Doctor Sachs, which is kind of that serial style. Maggie Cassidy, first love of his life, the most wonderful girl. You just can't help but feel that. This is the ideal childhood girl that inspired Jack. The compassion and love and kindness and just the crazy 
adventures of childhood. I film a lot of my dad in this because he had a similar girl in his life. And reading it and knowing that age group, I imagine they both were very similar about how their views of this, this imaginary, but this magical girl they knew in high school they just had to love. My dad had one um, similarly in Portage. And uh, I think I think all the young men at that age had some girl like it. Maggie Cassidy is a name for her that wasn't really the girl. I know her real name. I'm not going to say it, you know, because it's, you can look it up what the real people's names were. Vanity of Dulaz. Jack wrote this when he was older. And you have to really like Jack to get into this book because it's an older, more cynical style of him. And a lot of it's written to his wife talking about his early life, but it's really important. Like you get into when he played football, got into the Merchant Marines. Uh, that's when he knew my dad at that point, before On the Road. And On the Road was the book. It really started to deal with the stylistic writings of the letter that uh, Neil Cassidy had uh, written to him. Very flowing, very unstructured, very you know, very moving. You could feel the movement in the words. And he, he focused on that and wrote on the road about his travels. And then Visions of Cody, where he kind of takes Cody as Neil Cassidy. So you get the feel of what it was like to be around them. Some of the real stuff, some of the stuff just stylistically going with it. The Subterraneans, Tristesta, another girl he knew in Mexico. He focuses a little bit on her and on the road, but in Tristessa you get the feeling of that Mexico girl that he fell in love with. Every aspect, every inch of her body. Lonesome traveler. A little bit of stories of on the road kind of exemplified in that. The Dharma bums. Got to throw that in there. It's not even listed. Where's the Dharma bums at? Yeah, not listed there. But the Dharma bums travels after on the road where he meets Gary Snyder, uh, another great writer. I believe he's still alive. Uh, Gary Snyder is great. He's a professor. Um, never met the guy, but I think he, uh, I believe I have a couple of his books. I like I like his stuff. It's, it's, it's very good. He gets into the Buddhist teachings um yeah he's just, he was from the west coast type of writer jack started off in the east coast and we went to the west coast in um the dharma bums he meets gary snyder and uh takes a lot of this and gary tells him to become a or inspires him to become a watchman for the fire tower at uh that falls over into Desolation Angels. And Desolation Angels is probably uh, my favorite book of Jack's because it's him in isolation on Desolation Peak, coming back down the world, trying to tell what he learned and not being able to say it in a way that people totally understand. Book of Dreams. And then Big Sur. Big Sur where he's really flannel book, you know, and he's, he's famous. His books have been published, but not until a later time in life. He's dealing with alcoholism, trying to 
faces demons, big sir, he writes this poem, sea. It's a long flowing poem about the sea and that you feel it. You feel it in every word. That's these broken up sentences in that spontaneous form. So we're not here to talk about the works of Jack Kerouac. We're here to talk about the life of Jack Kerouac. The works, though, are semi-autobiographical. He wrote on this long paper they used for seismographs that he could flow with those words and let them become never-ending pages as a big scroll. You can still go and see that scroll. I believe there's two of them. There's one revised one. And one is the one that the company for On the Road, when they publish it, wouldn't allow certain parts in. Now you can get that. You can buy the actual book based on a scroll. And it's not that different, but it has a lot more, um, shall we say, things that weren't publishable in 1950, in 1960. Jack Kerouac wrote that book, many books, and didn't find fame for many years. He started out playing football, you know, on a football scholarship. He was a great, great athlete, and he got hurt, and uh, he joined the Merchant Marines. The Merchant Marines is where my father met him, and uh, I'll never forget how I heard about Jack Kerouac, because all this, all this happened many, many years before I was born. And uh, never knew Jack Kerouac, never existed. I was a young kid in high school and I said to myself, I want to get into reading some things. So I read all the stuff they make you read in school and you never really got a chance to read anything else because they keep assigning these books to you. And one day, my father had a nephew or cousin. You see how it worked. It'd be his cousin's kids. It'd be a second cousin, Michael Safian. And Michael came around. So I never had a lot of family. And Michael comes around. He's got this New York accent. Interesting story there. I won't go into it. But Michael, Michael was one of those people that encouraged me to be a writer. He said, you know, he took an interest in everything people did. He wanted to be a part of your life and asked me what I'm interested in. And I said, I like writing. Oh, really? You like writing? Yeah, I like writing. And he started looking at some of my stuff and he looked at me and he goes, you know, you're really good, Will. You're really good. I like your stuff a lot. And as a young man, that meant a lot to me to have someone say, hey, your stuff is good. Because I wrote mainly for myself. And he encouraged me to write. And he got me into reading Khalil Gibran. He said, if you can write like this, the ladies will fall for you. <laughs> and uh, I read, read Khalil Gibran and it was you know, biblical. It's like, it's like reading Khalil Gibran, the prophet, is like reading the Bible. It's deeply spiritual. It was written from a man from Syria. It had, it had, 
you really can't compare it to anything written today. I liked it a lot. I really liked it a lot. And one day it shows up with this book. It's an orange book. It's got a weird cover. It's very 20th century. And he says, here's Jack Kerouac. And to be honest, I was not impressed. <laughs> I was not interested in reading this book. I started reading parts of it, and I just couldn't follow it. It started out slow. It was on the road. And it's autobiographical. I knew nothing about the man. And I, I thought, well, I'm gonna, just going to have to read this because Michael wants me to read this. And I forced myself through those first 20 pages of that book. And about this man recently had been divorced from his wife and began his adventures on the road. And Michael said to me, this is your dad's generation, you know, your dad's sitting there. And my dad says, who? And he said, look, thinking about it. And he says, yeah, I remember him. And we're like sitting there like looking at him. He says, yeah, he's like, and my dad was nowhere beatnik. My dad was a very practical person. He liked to fish. He was a sailor, all that. And he says, I knew him. I knew Jack Kerouac. Michael and I, Michael's like, nah, nah. My dad's, oh, yeah, I was on a ship with him. And he did drawings. And he says, you know, we used to hang out and drink uh, cognac together. And we, he was a hell of a nice guy. He was fun. He says, great writer. I had drawings of him somewhere, but he says, I, they were in a, my sea chest and they got, I had it at my mom's and my sister stole it. I never saw it again. He says, but I had drawings of him. He says, he did a couple drawings of us. He says, he was great. And he had all these stories of Jack being on the, in the Merchant Marines with him. Just just not not this famous writer, but a friend of his, you know. Of that that great greatest generation of these people that thinking of Jack in a hundred and my dad would soon be approaching that. I uh, get a little choked up over it because those are the people that knew how to live. But we're going through a war approaching similarly. These people dealt with the real thing. World War II. The whole world was on fire. You can look back at it now and think about all the ships and the stories you read and the detail about it and find that individual beauty in it, but it was the world on fire. And these men were, as Jack and Vanu de Laws on a different book, different ship than the one my dad number one with. A uh, whole ship, he switched ships, and the next day found out that ship sank. You know, these all the people he knew when it died. My dad said that he knew what it was to sit there and have friends of his Five friends of his you're really close to, and the next day they're dead. The horror of war we're seeing now, but we don't have that greatest generation right now. We don't have those people that... I don't know what it was about them. I don't know what it was. Jack had that, too. When you read Jack's writing, he's honest about it, and that was his biggest rule about writing. You want to be honest with all your writing. You don't want to hold anything back. What you are holding back, even though it may be personal, even though it may cut and bleed, 
It's the very thing that people need, that people relate to. To put it into perspective, if you run your deathbed and you met God, would you want your whole soul to be the representative of who you are or would you want it to be just a little bit? That's what Jack was seeing it as. He was seeing the divinity in the work, the words, and everything that flowed that way. So when my dad knew Jack and the Merchant Marines, my dad considered him a dear friend. And they kind of lost touch. You know, you get different ships, you lose touch with people. You don't, it wasn't like today where you had to email and all that. They, they kept in touch a little bit. But, you know, Michael was like, ah, okay. And I read On the Road. And then when I got to the end, I thought, you know, I want to reread that again. I want to, now that I know the feeling of the book and what it was about, I want to see what I missed and didn't understand at the beginning. And I reread it again. And I felt like I knew the man myself. I knew my dad. That was all I needed because those people were all that grit. That grit with love. And of course, I read the other books, you know, uh, Dharma Bombs, Desolation Angels, Big Sur. And I went off on the other books like the earlier ones and Vanity de Laws, which gets into that, that time. They were written out of context. So, I mean, out of sequence. So the last, first one was the last one. Jack wanted to come full circle. And when you read them in order, you'll feel that. But, you know, to me at that time when I was introduced to his writing, I could not get beyond how honest the man was. How he was inspired by his times he lived in, the jazz music. And he came back from World War II. And he wanted to be real. The realest people were the downtrodden. He looked at a lot of these jazz musicians that were black, but weren't even allowed into the very places they were playing to have a beer. And he could see that in his soul. If you read the history of Jack's family, you realize they were French, they came over, and there was a great pain Jack felt from loss, from love, from living, from being. And seeing people in the war. So when he came across people like Allen Ginsberg, Gary Snyder, um, Peter Orlowski, uh, so many others like uh, Neil Cassidy, Caruso, You feel them as with every one of these jazz musicians. He saw something in them that he too knew was a struggle. A struggle for relevancy. 
the way he was writing, nobody wanted to pick up on the road. He was told nobody's going to read this. Nobody's going to want to hear what you have to say, Jack. And it took him many years to get published. And when he did, it happened all at once. And by then he was in his near 40s and he was an alcoholic because he had been through all this and he had felt all this. And people wanted to party with him. They wanted the king of the beats. And he'd given them everything of his soul. But they were not ready to understand it. They wanted to party with him, but that's what Big Sur is about. Where he goes off and wants to face his own demons and deal with finding himself and not have to deal with everybody wanting his autograph. Everybody, some person showing up at his door when he's just a regular person like anybody else. He never wanted that celebrity. Well, fame is just a four-letter word, isn't it, Jackie? So, he returned home, living, staying with his mother, helping out. Feeling that sense that he missed when his father passed away. But that small town America he wrote about, that he grew up in, and the world that he loved so much, the people in it. And he drank himself to death. This is the weight of every artist that is honest. If you give so much of yourself, and people think you know the meaning of life, all the answers, you're faced with one after one after one of people coming and you're just one person. But your words speak so much more. They still do with Jack. You can pick up a copy of his book and relate. You can relate on a deeply personal human level. And the beauty of it is that the way he speaks is not so structured that you have to worry as his prim and proper way of talking. It's human. It's alive. It's vibrant and it's feeling the beauty and the ugliness, the pain of life too. That's the Jack Kerouac that we all know. There's people that can say it a lot more profoundly, a lot more beautifully, a lot simpler than I can. There's people that can read poetry of his better and feel it better and do this all day and every one of us in some way or another is going to say something about Jack today and henceforth how deeply he has touched us as writers on a level Ginsburg and Gary Snyder and everybody else Burroughs Gregory Caruso all of them are great They, they're great too. But 
Jack, Jack is something special. Jack is kind of like a Catholic boy that wrote what he saw. Loving honesty. Boil all those essentials of spontaneous prose down and you have honesty and love. That's all you got. Summing it all up, Jack. So what I'm going to do today, I'm going to get me some cognac. Now I'm going to think about my father, Jack Kerouac, on one of those victory ships, one of those liberty ships in the Merchant Marines. A deep blue sea against that gray battleship. Can you see that battleship? It's parting those waters and the dolphins are jumping on the front of it. It's not really a battleship because there's not any weapons on it. You're a sitting duck out there. You're delivering supplies to the front line. You are a American serviceman. And those U-boats are just looking for you. So you take every day and you look up at the clouds and you look at the sky. You try to find God. And in that blue water, those dolphins are your brothers. And for some reason, you find that unity. You have your jobs around the ship, you have your work you need to be doing, but at the end of the day, when you get a chance, you're in port. You get a bottle of cognac, get in bond, you get it cheap, because the whole world's been burning. And thank God they know how to make cognac still. It's, it's godsend. You take that glass, you thank God for every day of your life, every word of your life, every good and bad emotion you felt. Jack Kerouac. Pete Simo on that Victory and Liberty ship. Jack taking on a sketchbook and saying, hey, let me just draw you right there because, man, this this is a photograph. And I'm a camera, but this should be a photograph of sketching, sketching a boat. A very human quality of life. For all those men that never had the story told. That's what you feel with Jack's work. You feel it with that bum on that train. Getting a bottle of wine and sharing it with all the others and saying, hey, this is for St. Teresa of the Roses. <laughs> That's what it's about. So Jack Kerouac's all about. So Jack, I'm not thinking about all that celebrity stuff, all that fame, all those poets blazing your name in gold. You've already done that. Hundred years old, my friend. Just kind of wish you were here to tell us what would Jack Kerouac be today. Let's review that question. Would Jack be the young man that? hopping trains would he be cynical I think Jack would be deep in self reflection writing things here and there he'd kind of be off in his own spot now where he wants to be the wise old man on the mountain 
he wants to be left alone, but he's going to tell you the truth. Because that's all Jack knew was honesty, was being real. He'd find a way to put all of his books in a row. We find that to a point that it would be still important today. He'd be making sure we all keep poetry alive, not in words on paper, not how it's read, but in our hearts and how we live, how we observe and see the world. So that's that. And Jack Kerouac. I'm thinking of young Jack Kerouac. I'm thinking of old Jack Kerouac. I'm thinking of Jack Kerouac.